this is Jacqueline with Sound Body Wisdom, and I'm going to be talking about this thing we call stress. And I think it's, it's become kind of a blanket term that we throw around pretty loosely. And I'm hoping to give you a little bit more of a biological overview to give you a new perspective. Because I think if we, if we understand a little bit about what stress actually is as a mechanism in the body, that it will help us sort of discern and make different choices. So stress is your body's way of responding to any kind of demand. When people experience any kind of stressor, the demand, their bodies react with certain physical changes and by releasing particular chemical hormones. So these changes are generally designed to help the person with, say, a sudden boost of energy or power to meet dangers in their physical environment. And this is totally awesome when we need it to fight or flee from something that's threatening our survival. But what if the stress response is to an emotional or perceived threat that isn't physical? So this is the question we're learning to ask as our emotional and cognitive relationship to the world expands. And the mechanism of our nervous system, it's still primarily designed for the demands of our ancestors. So a few hundred thousand years ago, our stress responses, they were designed more specifically for threats to our physical well-being. So if we encountered a tiger, we would need to either fight it or flee from it or be eaten. So this type of stress would be decided in a matter of seconds or minutes, and it wouldn't last for days continuously or months on end. This is much different from today, where daily and prolonged exposures to, say, tense work situations or social expectations, difficult relationships, family, or defeating self-thought, that can create the bulk of our stress response. So while our rational mind knows that a work situation doesn't threaten our lives, some part of our unconscious has developed a belief that it is a threat, and from the neck down, they all respond instinctively. So the perception of the stress encountered day in and day out at work, it's sending the message, tiger! And our body, it can run from a predator in the wild for short distances, but we're not made to outrun the tiger every hour of every day. And not to mention, if you actually got to run, that physical act of running from that threat, from that tiger, it helps us to reduce levels of stress hormones and actually increase natural sort of mood-elevating chemicals. So the running is good. So, so what has changed? Well, our modern world is not more stressful than that of our ancestors per se, but it certainly has a busier and more accelerated amount of stimulus in the environment. So for example, we are biologically wired to react to sound as a warning, which can be seen in the startle response in infants. So research into the impact of sound on the brain shows that both sudden, loud sounds and chronic low-level sound can negatively influence the brain and our behavior. So study after study demonstrates that even just the noise stimulus of our modern cities and our lives, it can burden our brains and our nervous system. So another consideration is that the power of our cognition, our thoughts, our perceptions, they've evolved. We've also seen an evolution of our social concepts and demands and the expectations demonstrating that Social factors have an influence over our information processing and therefore on our perceptions. Which brings us to the power of how these perceptions can trigger a stress response. Our minds and capacity of thought have become so powerful 
that we can simply think about a stressful situation and trigger the stress response in our bodies. So our mind makes it real for the body to experience and respond accordingly without any actual threat in the present. So this is extended to encompass any perception of any situation, emotionally based or non-life-threatening, and the ability of our beliefs about that situation to trigger a stress response in the body, that it's become the same as any physical threat. Just that we think it and we believe it. We have the same response as any physical threat. So stress has become such a common blanket term in our everyday language that I think we underestimate the impact it has on our health and how we function. You know, I've met people that tell me, oh, I'm not stressed because, you know, they don't see any of the typical characterizations of stress in their life, like a job, a relationship, health, or financial issues. But a stress response can be sort of invisibly set in motion based on your perceptions, your conditioning, or stories about basic life situations. It can even be genetic. I think we would be greatly served by broadening our idea of stress and understanding that it's a response feature built into our nervous system to meet the perceived demands of life. So all of this gives you an idea about the function of our stress response and that it really does serve a purpose. And contrary to popular belief, it's, it's not all negative. So ultimately, it's a mechanism that was designed to help us in any number of physical situations to meet certain demands. And these demands can be to outrun a predator or to compete in a sports competition. I mean, ultimately, whether the stimulus is a physical threat, a perceived threat, or a choice to skydive out of an airplane, the key factor here is really about the duration and the frequency of it. This is important because we have gathered enough research to know that prolonged stress can do harm to us. So why should you care and how does it touch you personally? Again, some stress is helpful for your body and can include excitement, you know, before a, a sports activity or some big event. And these biological changes can enhance your performance, sharpen your mind, and you know, after a short period of time, a healthy and flexible nervous system, it returns basically to homeostasis. So short-term stress, when there's an outlet for the activity and a return to balance, it's just a natural part of our functioning nervous system. But what happens when the stress response is activated continuously or for longer periods of time and the nervous system loses its ability to return to balance or it gets stuck in a repetitive loop of the stress cascade, this internal response? So everyone will manifest their response to stress in different ways based on a lot of variables. But either way, we know that it's not sustainable for overall health. It can affect things as basic as your memory, your libido, your mood, learning, sleep. It can create muscle tension, headaches, I mean depression. Or, you know, it can just affect basic things like breathing or body temperature, digestion. It can mess with your skin, your hair, your nails, or any of your organs functioning well. I mean, it can spiral over a certain amount of time and put a burden on your system and contribute to things like chronic pain or even heart disease, immune system dysfunction, diabetes. I mean, the list can go on and on. And this isn't to, you know, be like doom and gloom. It's just to say that this mechanism of the body, it's, it's really powerful. And we want to keep it in balance. We want to know when it's being engaged and being engaged due to more perceived threat or emotional threat, um, threats that we're creating in our mind. 
So in our evolving modern world and these brains that are evolving, we have choices. And we can make these choices to meet demands with more flexibility. I mean, we're not bound to just accept the impact of unhelpful stress responses as part of normal life. Having basic information about the stress response in your body is a great first step because it can guide you through the misconceptions about this thing called stress. Another helpful tool is understanding there are many different sources of stress. So I'm just going to break it down into three sort of over, overarching categories. But, you know, since stress is subjective, there's always, you know, going to be additions. So basically, if we break it down into three, I see it as physical survival. This is when you're afraid that something is going to cause you physical harm. There's environmental stressors. That's anything that isn't based on an internal perception or a need to survive. I mean, this can be pollution, noise stimulus, nutrition, lack of sleep, etc. Or then there's perceived stressors. These create a response from within based on your thoughts, your emotions, perceptions, beliefs, social constructs. Um, they can manifest as worry, self-deprecation, insecurity, helplessness. You get the idea. So stress is a part of life and our bodies are designed to meet it and keep us safe and healthy under many conditions. But as I mentioned above, there are many factors for how our brain is meeting the physical and emotional demands of stress that impact our ability to stay in balance. All of this is simply background information. Ultimately, it's up to each of us to pay attention and discern if something is out of balance in our habits, in our nervous system, our physical response. Amazingly, there are many tools and techniques and insights that can help us shift, rewire, and rebalance. This is the choice we can make. We have learned so much about these incredible bodies and the power of our minds, not just as functional machines, but as manifestors toward anything we can imagine. I mean, after all, the body believes what the brain thinks. So this is to say that breaking down what stress is, is there an actual stress happening, a physical threat, or an environmental stressor. And separating that out from these perceived threats, emotional, social, they can get triggered without us really realizing they're happening. And again, that's why I'm an advocate for developing our awareness and sort of going on a treasure hunt. If you notice something happening in your body, you can pause and try to see what triggered it. What was the thought? What was the situation? Or if you notice a thought or a situation, and then you can see a corresponding reaction in your body or any kind of subtle change, something that doesn't feel good, like it's almost like a contraction in your body. So this is how awareness can help us make different choices. And in the meantime, there are definitely short little exercises we can do to sort of deactivate the sympathetic nervous system and activate the parasympathetic. So sympathetic is the fight or flight, you know, ramped up, and then parasympathetic helps you to relax and rest and go back into finding balance as you move forward. Because this really is about having a flexible and balanced nervous system. I'm going to offer just a simple exercise in moments when you do feel stressed that help you to basically deactivate the sympathetic nervous system which is the stress response, the fight or flight response, and activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is more relaxation and rest. Um, ideally, we want our nervous systems to be flexible and move back and forth between these two. 
So we need, we need both to have healthy, balanced lives, but we just don't want to get stuck in, in either one of them. So some of the most simple exercises to switch from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic is just to spontaneously smile or laugh. And I know sometimes when I tell this to people, you know, I kind of get an eye roll, but it's pretty incredible the amount of facial muscles you have that when you smile, sends a message to your brain to activate hormones that make you feel good. So if you can just spontaneously smile or laughter, the same thing, um, how it's sending a message to your brain and your body about your perception, your environment. So if you can do it, try to just relaxedly and spontaneously smile. You don't have to hold it. Just let your face light up or find something that makes you smile, an image or a short video or uh, your dog or a friend, whatever it might be. And the same with laughing, anything that can get you to smile or laugh. But you can also teach yourself how to do it for yourself spontaneously. Another thing you can do is three breaths that you have an exhale with sound or some people call it a sigh. So engaging sound and tone with breath is a really helpful tool for engaging the parasympathetic and getting your body to relax. And again, sort of start this cascade of, of different uh, processes happening inside. Just do three really full inhales and on those exhales, make any kind of sound that you can and let it just exhale with sound for the entire duration of the breath. Uh, another simple exercise is to give yourself affirmations or write down things that you're grateful for. When you focus on affirmations, focus on gratitude, it lights up, it activates a different part of the brain that helps you feel good. I mean, these, maybe they sound sort of deceptively simple, but they really are that simple to get your brain to just switch gears which then changes how you feel and how your body responds. Another exercise is that you can go through and practice really clenching and holding and tensing different parts of your body. So you can sort of sit or lay down and, and do it systematically, you know, starting at your feet and your toes and then your calves all the way up through your body, or you can just try to tighten your whole body all at once and just hold it for as long as you can. And then the beautiful thing is then let go. And your body can sometimes then, if it's been tensing, it helps the muscles to release and relax a little bit more. All right, so the next exercise you can try is basically stating your emotions, verbalizing them, labeling them, saying them out loud. Uh, you can try to develop this skill and really just practice it as much as possible. You can practice it every day with emotions that seem more basic or easy so you can establish it as a habit so when you're having more stressful times it's a little bit easier to engage it. Uh, the reason we do this is that you know when we name our feelings we change activity in the brain and we bring ourselves into a calmer state. We also stop the ripple effect of negative reactions. In studies when emotions were labeled MRI scans showed that the amygdala, this part of the brain that is central in the fight or flight stress response, that activity got lowered and the prefrontal cortex became more active. 
And this is an area that helps us process emotions and change our behavioral response to them. It can also minimize feelings of overwhelm. So the more we activate this area, the prefrontal cortex, this area of the brain, by naming our feelings, the easier it can be to not get swallowed up by them. Naming them can help you step outside the emotional stuck loop that you might find yourself in. So it could be as simple as, I'm feeling angry, you know, I'm feeling sad. It, you don't have to get into too much detail, but literally just engaging, stating what it is out loud, it can make a difference. So the last thing I'll offer is that you can take yourself on any number of guided visualizations to help yourself calm yourself. One suggestion that I can give you is an exercise in filling your body with light. Um, if light doesn't work for you, you can use any metaphor. It can be water, it can be an emotion like joy. So I'm just going to sort of give you a, an overview of it. I'm not going to really talk you through it. It's something you can play with on your own. But I would suggest that wherever you are, you can sit or lay down. But again, to close your eyes so that you're not engaging sort of the visual stimulus and it lets your imagination really take over. And just imagine your body. In this case, I'm going to use light. So your body filling with a radiant light and use your breath so that with each breath and moment, you can feel your body receiving this light and receiving more light and imagine it reaching into every place in your body, you know, from your little toe to your earlobes and so on. Really let yourself get detailed in being able to see it travel and fill up your body and let yourself feel an ease and let it feel the light able to flow easily through you. Um, then you can begin to let that light radiate out from you in all directions. So you become the source and then it's radiating out from within you. And it's a feeling, it's a sensation, it's an energy. So you can direct it in any way imaginable. So through breath and the visualization, your imagination, simply experience sharing this with the world around you. You know, your family, your environment, where you live, your community, um, out to the greater world and it coming back to you. And notice what you notice and allow your imagination to support this continual flow. So simply allow yourself to give and receive this light in any way that feels nourishing and loving. I mean, that's essentially what we're looking towards is something that's nourishing and loving because those sensations are what is gonna get your nervous system to come into a calmer state. So there is no right or wrong way to do it. It's really your sense of the experience of it. So whatever metaphor or visualization that you can engage that gets you into a nourishing place, a loving place, a kind place. These are the things that are going to get you to switch into parasympathetic nervous system. So this helps you in a way retrain your nervous system to be flexible, but that you get to engage with it and you get to switch out of the stress response. So play with that and always just Notice what you notice, see how it feels, and you're empowered to improvise and be creative in any way that you need. It's about giving yourself what you need, and there's so many tools for doing that. So thanks for stopping by, and always message me with questions, and I'm happy to talk to you. Thanks so much. Take care. <laughs>